Hi there, this is your old pal Will Sloan. I'd like to extend my congratulations to Eddie, TJ, Trevor, and the whole extended clip gang on the successful run of their podcast. <laughs> you know, back when you guys started, the film podcasting landscape was a very different place. It consisted only of me, film spotting, and the cinephiliacs. So you can see how the extended clip boys brought a much needed dose of testosterone to this bleak landscape. Sadly, it was only a matter of time until the bad boys of film podcasting would realize that being in the same business as the likes of Peter Labuza makes you no better than dirt. And so, they've decided to turn in their guns and badges once and for all. The boys have asked me, and all past guests, if we could name a movie that we wished we could bring to the podcast if they kept going. Well, to tell you the truth, I have always nursed a dream that I would be invited back to do an episode in which we could compare Jean-Luc Godard's Numero Deux with Jamie Gillis's On the Prowl, two <laughs> radical artworks about my three favorite topics, sex, capitalism, and videotape. I hope that one day we might carry on this conversation after Eddie, Gigi, Skip, and the lads eventually have an emotional reunion, just like Dean and Jerry on the telethon. All the best, your friend, Will. Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? With bloated ego, we are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, the last episode. <laughs> We're having a fucking party, a goodbye party. I'm one of your what? hosts, Eddie April. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. Sorry, I should have said I was Eddie April. <laughs> I'm fading away. You know, Will's message, you know, kind of one thing that came out of this podcast is that people are like, you have like a normal voice. Like people would tell us, you guys have, and like, I never knew I had a normal voice before. You know, yeah. I was... Like people are like, oh, this is like a broy podcast. You're like, oh, I really? Like, we have the like, Alpha Dog Deep I, I, Voice I, Film I, Podcast. This, this, you know, it, 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 you know, real. It was a real confidence booster. Everyone's like, wow, you're normal. I'm like, really? <laughs> nice. It worked. <laughs> so, in the spirit of our classic year-end episodes, of which we've done two, uh, we are going to talk about some of the best movies we've watched this year, and in a classic segment that we've definitely done before on the podcast in a context I don't remember promises unfulfilled we're going to be talking about some movies that we wish we could have brought to the podcast but let's talk about the immediate past you know things that we've watched uh in, over the last year that we've loved and uh JT do, do you want to go first with one of your picks oh fuck it why not I can pull up the iPhone note and see what I have as number one and ah some would say that this favorite movie of mine from 2021, not released in 2021, of course, could also be a television show. Ooh. But it's uh, Godard's Histoire du Cinema. Um, and hey, it, no TV talk on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was like a, 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 a film project that was a long undertaking that I was uh, intimidated by. Um, for a few years now and I mean I feel like I definitely don't comprehend like all of it but I mean that's like a fool's errand in a Godard work is trying to like cite all the things or get every bit um, I feel like 
whatever interpretation you're able to pull from it, I think is valuable and meaningful. And I don't know, seeing this now, um, for like compared to when I was uh, a young lad first getting into Godard <laughs> and I was just like able to attach myself to the formal qualities and seeing him do, um, crazy things with the image that I had never, uh, seen done before, or it was like techniques that I was, uh, had seen, uh, in popular movies, but ha- was like witnessing them being born for the first time. Uh, he was a filmmaker who really meant a lot for me in that perspective and works with the intellectual while also being like so playful and exuberant and like being an ancient fucking man now, but will still have jokes about like people shitting and farting. And I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. He, in the way that Godard, I don't know, I feel like was one of the main signifiers of this podcast. I feel like it was perfect because like he could jump so effortlessly uh, between highbrow and lowbrow. And I mean, I think he does some of that in like Histoire du Cinema. Um, and to speak a little bit more specifically to that as a whole, uh, Godard is kind of tracing his own personal story of movies against the backdrop of like the historical development of film in like, like at points like very much so in relationship to the more like moral and ethical quandaries of mm-hmm. what role uh film had in like uh preventing the holocaust since it was there to like document reality and like that being like a major uh failure of the 20th century at large and then also like a film to like represent that um, well, I don't know if he was trying to get movies to prevent the no, Holocaust, no, but, but yeah, the like, failure yeah. to properly capture it to the world. Yeah, yeah. capture it or like... I mean, it already happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, he gets at a lot of stuff in that, and then overwhelmingly for me, I think this is couple, like works very well with the other work he was doing at the time in the 80s and 90s and speaks to what he's going to do with digital... Uh, mm-hmm. In the 2000s and 2010s, it's that's what's always influenced uh, me about him as an artist is that he is just like it's it's going to be actually very heartbreaking when he dies because mm-hmm. he's one of the only people concerned with like very tactile qualities of the medium and. I don't know. It, but it's not going to be quite as heartbreaking as when this podcast ends. Yeah, no. Sure. I think this is this is a lot sadder. Uh, Malcolm, what are, do you got one of your picks? I mean, it might be a shot in the dark. You know, I might, Godard might come next after we fall. But uh, <laughs> podcasts like us are... The day after down. this uh, uh, <laughs> podcast is released, he shoots himself right in the fucking head. It would head. be worse if he dies between our recording and releasing of this episode. Wow. We just have this hanging over us. I mean, at, in a way, it would kind of make me feel good about myself. That's my what powers. happened with uh, Sleezoids did an episode on Burt Reynolds movies, and yeah. they, they were positive on him, but they were like kind of making fun of him a little yeah. bit, you know? And then he died between the recording and the releasing <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> All the Burt heads yeah. came came through with pitchforks and uh, torches, but no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to besmirch the dead or the near dead. You know what I mean? I, those new movies, like, didn't he announce like uh, his two screenplays that he's finished that are going to be his final movies, Funny Wars and Scenario? What great, you know, those are very like promising titles for yeah. like final Godard movies. 
But one of the movies I've seen this year that really struck me was McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And, you know, this is a well-beloved movie. And, you know, start of the year, we had the Dr. T hype train. And that was a proud moment. I was I was happy to see people celebrate Dr. T and the woman. And it culminated in, into, you know, something beautiful. And, but, you know, I had, you know, I appreciate the deep cuts. This podcast is all about the deep cuts. But it's like, we also like the classics, too. We love the classics. So I was like, well, you know, I've seen... Dr. T and the woman in OC and Stiggs is like, maybe I should go see McCabe and Mrs. Miller. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean, I was, I was blown away. You know, it's probably my favorite Altman movie to date. I mean, I think this is like probably my favorite revisionist Western and like kind of, I feel like does exactly what revisionist Westerns should do or whatever. Cause like a lot of revisionist Westerns and even, you know, I'd say more nowadays than even like seventies or sixties, where it's like they still kind of want to have their cake and eat it too, or you know, to a certain extent. But like with this one, it really is just kind of focuses on, on like the pure industry coming through, you know, in this case represented by a whorehouse. And, you know, does like the stuff the classic Westerns do kind of show the changing of time, but have a little bit, you know, there's less, uh, you know, there's no heroes here. You know what I mean? There's no one coming to save you. You know, we, we it just... uh it kind of, uh, you know, ends in a depressing way, but you know, throughout the, throughout the movie, it's like this movie has a very like particular style that's really of its own, even more so than any other Altman movies. Kind of like the like a, uh, one of the best like quote unquote ugly sheens I've seen in a movie, in like a great browns of like all the wooden houses here, and you know, just like the dust, and then eventually, you know, I love how it becomes like a snowy western, and like kind of like the small. Uh, notes between you know the relationship of warren Beatty and uh julie christ uh, julie christie as like you know the Beatty being you know the top pimp and uh julie christie being you know kind of like the the matron you know the lead whore you know as so to speak and like how you know Beatty gets attached to her but she kind of has like this very you know almost business-like soberness of like you know it's you know this is not going to end well and I don't know, just the the big business coming through and just fucking everything up, just fucking the entire town up, yeah. regardless of the whorehouse. Um, real sight to see, you know, great little critique of the old capitalism. We love it when movies go after capitalism <laughs> here. And uh, I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's a big capitalist. A, yeah, true. It's it, it's a well. There's a thin line line between love and hate. You That's know, so, true. So it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, great performances here. And. How could you not love uh, songs of Leonard Cohen kind of coming through in the yeah. background and kind of like maybe one of my favorite uh, uses of like kind of like uh, almost like, uh, you know, directors showing off their music taste. It's like it's that's one thing. And I like that sometimes. Sometimes I don't. But I, I like it that it's to the extent here. It's like, why don't we just I love this album. Like, yeah. let, let's let, <laughs> let's 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 let use the album to kind of uh, get some emotions out of this movie. And uh I mean, yeah, just also just small notes where, you know, where you wouldn't expect it. You know what I mean? Just something like a uh, Warren Beatty alone in his room being like, I got poetry in me. You know what I mean? Such it's a good scene. So, so money. So uh, Altman, you know, I feel like I, I had appreciated Altman before, but it's like I, I kind of came to realization. It's like, oh, yeah, he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Like yeah. he's in that top five category for me. Just uh, just the and he does uh, just speak on Altman at large. 
you know, and uh, to go after maybe like, you know, your man's, your Tarantino's, your Fincher's even where it's like they kind of take their time between projects. I've always appreciated and, you know, doing it that way is fine, too. But I also like this kind of version of a director where it's like at a one pace he was going or at one time he was going out giving you like one a year and like, oh, I want to do a screwball comedy this time. Oh, I want to do like a, you know, like a movie set in the 20s. I want to do a Western. You know what I mean? It really exploring what film has to offer. And uh, yeah, I feel like yeah. he's one of the great genre revisionists. Like during New Hollywood, he was like, let's just go back to all those old Hollywood genres and just do them my way. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And so like, I love the versatility in that. And uh, I think that's you know, it speaks to his greatness and his exploratory qualities. I am going to talk about a movie that three of us all saw together, A Brighter Aww. Summer Day, Aww. 1991, Edward Ying. And, uh, you know, I don't have too much to say about it, just like I didn't then. It's just such a towering work. It's four hours long. And uh, it's like, you know, <laughs> forming, it's about like forming a cultural identity. But the thing is, the politics of the movie kind of just exist in the background. It's also just such an intimate character study drama. On top of that, it's also a crime film, you know, and it's also a, a history movie. And it's all these different things. And people have called it literary before. It's one of those movies that uh, people love saying movies are like Russian novels. I don't know what that means. I haven't read them. Yeah. Uh, but I think <laughs> hey. this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's just like the the aspect of it as a youth movie, I think, is what speaks to me more than anything because it, it has that anger of youth, but it also has the passion of youth. And that's what that anger stems from. But also stemming from that passion is the joy of youth. There's so many just exuberant sequences in this. It's just beautiful and the the runtime allows for every major plot point to just feel so heavy like the violence toward the end of the movie especially you feel that so heavily because of all of the time that you spend leading up to it and i just think yang was just at the top of his game on this film and it's a film that like it it makes you wonder if you're ever going to see something like that again that is just so patient and so detail oriented and has such a grand sweep to it. And also just moment to moment, the form is just so impeccable. He was just such a master stylist that uh, we lost too soon. Rip Edward Yang. And you know who else we saw this movie with? Ryan Swen, our very oh, first shit. and maybe most frequent guest on this yeah. podcast. Let's hear from him. Hello, Extended Clip. This is Ryan Swen. Thank you for inviting me to speak at least a little bit on your very last podcast. It's strange knowing that you're going to be concluding the podcast. I've been listening since the very beginning. At the very start, I actually didn't even know either JT or Malcolm. And one of the great things about about the podcast has been sort of being able to get to know more people, to expand, I guess, a sense of community. And I think that it's something that you've done very well. It's always been a great pleasure for me to to guest on the podcast and to bring something of my more willfully esoteric picks to the podcast. I think it's a great credit to what the three of you have done with Extended Clip in terms of the balance that you've struck between the more comedic elements and the more serious film analysis elements. I think that's something, especially the film analysis elements that all three of you have really worked well on in, in terms of, of being able to encapsulate a film and be able to sort of get into the, the nitty gritty a little bit without sacrificing uh without making it too dry or too or too cursory 
I think that's something that you've all done well with. I hope that even though Extended Clip is going to be finishing, I hope that you'll be able to continue to develop that sense and to continue hanging out and to being friendly with each other and with all of the very deserving fans that you've made. In terms of a film that I would have loved to bring to Extended Clip, even for this, I was sort of thinking about the different possibilities I had, including some of the ones that I wanted to bring on for my last episode, like A Brighter Summer Day. But I think a perfect choice would be Jean Eustache's The Mother and the Whore from 1973, which is one of my favorite films and which is sort of one that I find fascinating. And it and sort of, I think Rosenbaum opened his review saying with the sentence, is it possible to disapprove of a masterpiece? And I think that's very much the core of it in terms of the of spending three and a half hours with three of the worst people in the world and in and in sort of learning to alternately uh despise and and love them and to to get to know what makes them tick and to observe interactions observe interactions with this with this maniacally incisive glance at at what at their quotidian goings on and the digressive conversations the intimacies that each of them develop it's just fantastic and three of the great performances of all time from Jean-Pierre Léaud, Bernadette Lafont, and Françoise Lebrun. It's just it's just incredible. I think that running out of three and a half hours, I think just the sort of sprawl of it, I think is perfect for discussion on a podcast. I've discussed it before, but I think it's one that deserves as much discussion as it can possibly get. So I think that would have been one that I would have loved to bring to the, I would have loved to have brought to the podcast. But thank you once again for having me on so many times, having my voice on so many times, and for for continuing to bring so much lightness, but also so much incision in bringing all these various films together. I think that's a, a, a very great thing that all three of you have done. So thank you very much, Eddie, Malcolm, and JT. This is Ryan Swen signing off. Oh, what a little sweetie, yeah. that guy. And he got our names right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Will. But, uh, yeah, we didn't properly credit Will Sloan of the Important Cinema Club and uh, Michael and us beforehand. But that was, of course, our old friend Ryan Swen of Catalyst and Witness in 24 Hours Don't Make an Ideology, his new podcast on the series 24. And first of all, I didn't screen these beforehand, so I had no idea he was going to bring up A Brighter Summer Day. Great mm-hmm. little coincidence there. Um, Ryan is just like one of the great young critics and oh, I'm yeah. glad to be yeah. able to call him not just my podcasting colleague, but my friend. Exactly. Same. Yeah. I mean, every time Ryan came on the podcast, like he just, he'd hit us with just such great knowledge. He has such a great understanding of, you know, movies, you know, and stuff like that. So it was always a great time to have him on. JT, you got your next pick? Oh, yes, I do. Um, I am gonna, well, this year I got really offals pilled and i was gonna um pick at least one of this fucker's movies to talk about and uh i feel like a good like choice that i feel like sums up a lot of what i've seen is la ronde uh from 1950 um that like is uh sort of starts and is told by uh, a raconteur um, who shows like through like um, a little uh, carousel and like floats all around into various different spaces. Uh, three different stories of love and sexual affairs. Um, and I feel like it just showcases 
just like all of what uh, Ophuls does well. I mean, like just to get out the gate, like there is a just spectacular camera work and like framing where like even in the opening uh, when you have this like little narrator like guiding us through and like commenting on like the artificiality of everything like he like glides and walks past like a film camera as he's like going through time periods and it's like very clear that like there's an awareness of like how fabricated this uh, 1900s Vienna is and just that like that in and of itself of like this old nobility that Ophuls is fixated on and just like the elegance and like theatrical like decadence is so like suited um, for this mode and doing like these uh, lush fantastical three stories um, where the like the cinematography like there are some moments where just he'll like have uh, lights like positioned in the frame and will just create like this such a gauzy soft image and uh yeah no one no one makes an image like Ophuls. absolutely um and just like i don't know i it's all shit i love like really strong like interesting like horny female characters um and uh a really immense like larger than life theatricality to it and uh just incredibly playful like at one point when I was like scrubbing through this movie earlier today to think of like um, to just sort of refresh myself on it. I hit like the scene where the narrator is like cuts out the sex scene from the film and he talks about it as censorship. And just for 1950, that just feels like such an insane, like playfully meta moment to pop in there when Ophuls was already like in all of his movies getting away with so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is one of his masterpieces. It's my favorite of his Malcolm. I need to get Ophuls pilled. I mean, that that's definitely a sell, you know what I mean? Even though I think we joked about Mike, you know, I'll still be taking recommendations from you guys, you know, even, <laughs> though, even though I don't have to anymore, but, uh, you know, JT went Godard, not with this one, but his last one. I'm going to have to go Eastwood and go White Hunter, Black Heart. Ooh. And what a movie this is on a whole lot of different levels. I mean, f- first of all, you know, I, I guess with you know any, any Eastwood movie, you know, at, at least like, you know, post 70s, you know, we have the weight of like kind of Eastwood's career um, heavy in the balance here. And probably considering his position and where, you know, he was probably like the harshest spoonful of medicine a director could really, uh, imagine, you know what I mean? You know, he's, uh, you know, hi what? there. This is your, oh. Jesus. Shut the fuck up, Will. Look, yeah. Will, you got your moment yeah. in the sun or whatever already. your name is. Yeah. Bill Sloan. Um, <laughs> pal Will Sloan. Oh, shut the Eddie, fuck get it, up. Eddie, get it together. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. <laughs> are are we good am i good okay okay great now it's yeah people don't know the real dynamic eddie can can i finally go no of course of course can you please not clip (laughs) i'll raise my voice if i have to Uh, that was good mic control (laughs) but white hunter blackheart by uh, clint eastwood i mean you know to give it a short little summary we got uh, John, uh, John Huston, John Huston, whatever you say his name, uh, like character going down to Africa and, uh, he's going to make the African queen, a movie I haven't seen to be honest. 
And while he's there, he wants to, you know, he wants his white whale in the form of uh, a large elephant because I guess that was kind of like the Hemingway cool guy thing to do at the time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm going to go down to Africa and murk an elephant because, like, that's that's luxury hunting right there. You know what I mean? No bear or deer. You know, none of that, that chump shit. Um, and, you know, along the way, he compromises his production, uh, you know, the and pretty much the lives you know, of the people living there. And it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great because it, like, I think at the beginning it kind of paints, you know, Houston as kind of like more of like a lovable kind of like scoundrel like character, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, the, the cool artist scrambling around with his manic behavior. There's even a scene where, he gets to be like the cool guy against racism when like, you know, there's these guys being, um, you know, racist towards some African waiters and like, you know, Clint Eastwood, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to fist fight these dudes. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, what's going to solve it. But you know, it's not as simple as that, you know, because it's, you know, his, uh, his quest to hunt an elephant, you know, results in the death, you know, of an African person or whatever. And it kind of, uh, it's one of the biggest, uh, you know, it's Eastwood uh, tackling toxic masculinity, but even like kind of just uh, the hubris in general and kind of like, I don't know, just the the sins of kind of, you know, individual man, the U.S. at large. You know what I mean? It's a it's a very heavy movie. And, you know, for someone whose reputation, you know, doesn't quite line up to what you know this movie really is but i think that's ultimately what makes it so powerful you know what i mean and like even for eastwood like this is like kind of a very like kind of uh you know progressive critique and like less so you know more in politics but just kind of uh you know the classic humanistic eastwood Mm -hmm. style calling in you know uh humanity into question he also has one of his funniest scenes in his entire filmography when he is drawing a portrait of a woman who reveals herself to be a nazi (laughs) he draws her as hitler and calls her the ugliest bitch he's ever met yeah exactly that's i mean that's that's what's that's what's great too it's like oh is this like is this is this a movie about eastwood punching nazis or something (laughs) like that and it's like uh no not like it's a little bit more complex and there's like small things along the way like you see his love for the beautiful game and that soccer sequence so good. and stuff like that when you know um the africans beat uh, americans in soccer a little warm-up for invictus yeah exactly and uh so it's like it, you it has it has some of the heaviest stuff in his career and kind of like is like the jump start to his amazing 90s run i would say absolutely Uh, but is also you know has has its fun along the way in kind of classic eastwood uh, fashion so uh yeah masterpiece uh i'm gonna talk about another uh masterful filmmaker akira kurosawa who i wasn't a huge fan of when we started this podcast but specifically over the last year i have really grown fond of and that's a very basic thing to say that you like kurosawa movies (laughs) Uh, but i'm gonna talk about throne of blood his Macbeth adaptation, and it is incredible, man. It's like him and Orson Welles both understood that Shakespeare's texts kind of speak for themselves as drama, 
And the director's job is just to bring it to life as cinema through production design, through uh, cinematography, through directing the performances, etc. And he does that here. These images are just so fucking dense and so atmospheric. It's the most atmospheric of all the Kurosawa films I've seen so far. The small handful, that is. Um, but Mifune's performance is just one of the most intense of all time. Like... Of all the Mifune performances I've seen for Kurosawa, it's my favorite. And just in general, it's like, yeah, one of the most intense performances of all time. And it's a it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just like, I think that through this podcast, uh, we've seen our own tastes change and some kind of knee-jerk reactions we've had to, you know, whether it's film culture at large's perception of certain directors or our own, uh, you know misconceptions of those directors through early cinephilia and i think kurosawa is one of the biggest ones for me just over the last year where i don't know this podcast has taught me how to watch movies again and uh i i think kurosawa you know being someone i tried and didn't really like when i was in film school and then now however many thousand movies later i really really enjoy uh i i got a credit to this podcast a little bit you know, it's funny. I have the same, but for like Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, maybe you take the good and the bad. Yeah, with yeah this does podcast. some good for the world, does some bad. Uh, let's hear from our friend and colleague in podcasting. He'll say his name. Hey, Eddie, Malcolm, and JT. This is Josh Lewis Told calling you. in from the Sleezoids podcast. And I don't and even need to, have to plug his podcast. Just wanted to wish you guys good luck and say goodbye to a podcast that I loved listening to, uh, recommending to people, guesting on multiple times. My very favorite podcast that borrowed the exact same format as our podcast <laughs> extended clip. You fellas had a really great run, and I hope that people keep returning to your catalog of episodes because you guys had some of the strangest pairings and some of the most insightful conversations uh, in the podcast world of uh, friends who sit in a room together and just talk about films over the airwaves. I think you guys did a really great job. And if I had a chance to bring on one last film uh, that I would love to hear you guys talk about and just get your opinions on, and I, I checked to make sure, because as far as I could tell, none of you had this logged on Letterboxd, um, I would have really loved to see you guys eventually talk about the world of direct-to-video action films and trash, especially in the form of, in particular, uh, one that I recently caught up with just a year or two ago, John Hyams' uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, which is technically the fifth Universal Soldier uh, film uh, dating back to, obviously, the original Roland Emmerich film from the 90s. I think this film came out in 2012. And in the continuity, it's actually, like, the third one because, you know, these things are, you know, they're they're nonsense and they're crazy like that. But this film, it has Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren from the original 90s action programmer and legendary DTV martial artist Scott Adkins all in the same movie. And it blends this almost surreal, robotic, killing machine slasher film with kind of like this existential crime pulp mystery element to it. And its attempt at tone and style is, you know, somewhere between kind of like late period, the return era David Lynch and something like uh, S. Craig Zoller, while still delivering the goods on, you know, very competent, gory 
little martial art sequences. And honestly, I think in general, I just would have loved to hear you guys talk about some direct-to-video stuff, because there is some really interesting stuff happening out there, and, you know, there's a whole world of cinema, and you guys talked about really underrated stuff a lot, so I would have loved that. And uh, But despite never hitting the realm of direct-to-video action, which would have appeased, you know, one of your audience members, mostly me, um, seriously, you guys really killed it. And um, you should be proud of what you did with Extended Clip and what you guys accomplished. And now that you're free agents, uh, Jamie and I, over on the Sleazoids podcast, oh. would be happy to draft you guys and have any and or all of you on anytime you come up with a double feature that you wish you could have done at some point during your tenor over at Extended Clip. And I hope that whatever it is, you know, you three all got going on next, I hope whatever it is that uh, it rocks for you. Um, but yeah, goodbye, extended clip. Goodbye, Eddie, Malcolm, and JT. Uh, we'll keep talking about the movies uh, The movies on the internet. The movies. That's it. All right, bye. <laughs> Sometimes wow. it really does sound like we're going to kill ourselves after this ends. <laughs> I thought about that as a good, good bit. Maybe we should just go ghost on social media for like a month after we drop the final episode. Just leave some questions. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Josh, we did not steal your format, by the way. <laughs> I just want to get that out there. Love sleazoids and all that. Come on, man. Uh, honestly, yeah. The maybe like in like three years, the reunion episode is guesting on sleazoids together, all yeah. three of us. That would be pretty. Sick. Well, that's. I like how he put us as like podcasting free agents. He's like, I'm going to use my performance on extended clip to get a max contract with yeah. Barstool Sports. <laughs> Something that I've been talking about for years. On yeah, end. this is your yeah. contract week. You're, that's why you're going so hard on these episodes. Exactly. So it's like Barstool. I'll I'll work for cheap wages. Um, <laughs> thank you, Josh. Uh, it's awesome that you've contributed to our podcast and that you've let me on yours and that you've let us steal your format. And uh, also, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning looks awesome. I just haven't wanted to watch the first two to get to it, but I think I will eventually because that movie sounds awesome. I've talked to you over Call of Duty about that movie before, and yeah, it just sounds right up my alley. JT, you got one last movie from 2021 that you watched that you just loved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to try and do a major podcasting move right here oh. and go mobile because I need to grab another beer and feel free to edit this out. So you couldn't have done that like before, but like while we were I listening. wanted to hear all of what Josh I, had to I like, say. I like this though. It is like, do you want to move about? I'm good, man. I'm okay. good. I'm going to start not making any sense. Yeah. Notice he didn't even ask me. <laughs> I, yeah. No, you don't really drink. Do you want a beer? No. Fuck you. <laughs> Fucking offer me alcohol. I'm sober. Okay. That's the, the real reason the podcast is ending. <laughs> I just can't keep up with these fucking addicts. <laughs> I need my fix. I'm a freaking beer junkie. Beeraholic. <laughs> um, but now that I'm seated uh, and I have my beer, um, yeah, the last picture of a 2021 that really blew me away was uh, Shri 420 uh, by Raj Kapoor. And now You're you, really triggering my recovering <laughs> addiction. I know. I was gonna say with a name like 420, that's uh, no, no. You're you're fucking wrong. You're dead wrong. You haven't seen the picture. Um, that relates uh, to Indian Penal Code Section 420 
which is the punishment uh, for the offense of cheating. Hence, Mister Four Twenty is a derogatory derogatory term. Hence, penal code. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wait, so if you cheat on your wife, you're referred to as a Mr. 420? No, I mean like cheating, I imagine, in like a game or something. Oh, Maybe oh, like okay. I'm sure adultery is its own section in the penal code. Oh. But uh that's not really what much of this film gets into. Uh it's uh Raj Kapoor sort of on his like little tramp shit, um being like a guy who uh, is a poor fella, poor young kid, who is going to go to the big city in Bombay and try and fucking make a living. Um, And, I don't know, it's great to see, like, obviously, like, Kapoor influenced uh, by, like, the little tramp and see him do his own riff on that. And, uh, I don't know, just, like, it's... The, the the camera work is beautiful. There are just some like spectacular shots of uh, Kapoor and like ultimately the woman that becomes his love interest, uh, like sort of outside by like a, a street light in the rain in this. Um, one of the big songs, My Shoes Are Japanese, uh, is really cool. It's like the, hold on, let me pull up the refrain. It's, my shoes are Japanese, these trousers are English, the red cap on my head is Russian, oh. but my heart is still Indian. Everything designer. It's, it's, it fucking rocks. Th- those are some sick lyrics and, uh, about the, the new globalized world. My um, shoes are Japanese does sound like it would be like a spaced out trap hook. Like just <laughs> saying my shoes are Japanese, like mumbling I'm it. I'm selling that to Playboy Cardi yeah, so yeah. Play, yeah. He needs to take uh, the clip from uh, Shree 420 and put it <laughs> oh. in a song. That would be, I would, I would fucking blast that shit. We need to become A&Rs after this shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, to relate the, the <laughs> scooter, get off Malcolm. Um, the Shree 420 stuff to larger uh, aspects of how that influenced my taste and just with the podcast at large, I feel like a big thing um, that happened uh, this year. Um, and I, I don't know, I think through the podcast and like online film culture in general is that I had like a, a wider exposure to Indian cinema. And that was something like, especially like Indian and Hong Kong stuff, I think during uh, college, like was completely left out of my film education. Like I got like mostly just fucking European art house, like classic Hollywood. um, And I was severely lacking. And I mean, like there are obviously some more like American aspects of taste that you guys opened me up to. Like, Getting me into Sandler is truly, I feel like, some of the, the I don't know, hallmark stuff Miracle of, works. of uh, my friendship with you two guys. Um, but I, I don't know. I was just able to, like, I felt like the podcast was, like, a fun place for me to bring things that I was interested in getting into and, like, realizing that I was coming at it from, like, a somewhat, like, novice perspective, like, bringing in something like, uh, I don't know, fucking, like, Miranam Joker, also by Kapoor. And uh, I don't know, just to to work it out together and like go in places that like are certainly like big film movements and like important films, but stuff that I feel like other people um, on on, like a larger sphere aren't talking about as much as they should. And just that um, through like online film culture in general, I was able to 
uh, one access all of these crazy like Bollywood films and beyond, but just uh, meet people that would tell me about them. And yeah. uh, I don't know. This has been a fun part of this project. Shout out to the Indian listeners of Extended Clip. You know who you are. And I say that because I, I think I've mentioned this before on SoundCloud uh, or because on SoundCloud, we uh, India has surpassed Canada as our number two listening country of Extended Clip. And good. Uh, we are very proud to see that because Canada, I mean, other than like Josh and Will, you guys can hit the bricks. Yeah, exactly. It's like might as well just fuck with America if you're yeah. fucking with Canada. Malcolm, next yeah. pick. Uh yeah, don't get me don't get me too political on here. My <laughs> thoughts on Canada. Uh but you know, we'll go to a different country and it's you know, there's been a lot of discussion of this country lately, Italy. And uh my choice is Zombie or Zombie Flesh Eaters, Zombie 2. I haven't seen the first one. Um the fir- you may have. The first oh, one's yeah. Day of the Dead. Oh, well, I've seen the first one. Yeah. And, in uh, Italy, it was just released as zombie. Interesting. Interesting. Well, see, that's what's also great about this podcast. You learn something new every time you listen. In your head. <laughs> Such a, that's a great song. Yeah. Um, shout out to the Cranberries. Uh, but Fulci, what a director. And like this movie is, I don't know, maybe his most haziest, his most... Uh, I don't know, just the images and the places he takes you, you know, whether it's like the, you know, he, he does. I love how he shoots New York, but I love like kind of the decaying island that we see. And, uh, I, you know, I can't, it's, you know, it being a hazy movie, I can't say I remember this as well or have as much as say the other ones, but it's just some of the craziest horror imagery I, I could ever imagine really i mean something like the underwater sequence where we we see a zombie fight a shark it's you know with stuff like that rarely like that lives up to the hype of its description but fulci trans you know transfers that and not only does it live up to the hype it's completely i don't know it's well it's beautiful first of all but it's also it's it's something that you couldn't even conceptualize yourself and you know and that and that just speaks to uh fulci's genius and uh, I mean, this is some of the best practical effects I've seen in a movie, you know, some some of the most satisfying, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, blood spurts, things like that. He does all that stuff really well. The and bugs crawling out of the one zombie's eyes. Oh, my God. See, it's, it's stuff stuff that's like, you know, I, I kind of want to forget these images so I could see him again, you know, fresh and new. You know, this is a movie, um, you know, I think I'm going to rewatch a lot throughout my lifetime, but it's, you know... Hope, there's just so much in it that I know that something's going to take me off guard every time. And um, I don't know. I feel like Fulci is someone I feel like throughout the podcast. I I don't know if we, we chose him for an episode. New York we? Yeah, we've done yeah, the yeah, Ripper. Yeah, Ripper. Um, but he's just one of the filmmakers that matches up to the timeline of this podcast of me kind of just really getting into them. And I, Same, I, yeah. I mean, I just... Uh, I'm so thankful too. He's he's changed my life in many ways. Fulci has changed my life too. I now quack every time I go near a woman. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that alone. That alone makes the movie, uh, regardless of you know the other wonderful qualities I, of the uh, movie. 
<laughs> I was showing my dad. I was just like demonstrating 4K to my dad who had never seen like a 4K TV. Like, yeah. uh, and I, so I put in the New York Ripper 4K and I was just like showing him the scene like where uh, the, the Ripper is like on the, the boat, like where all the cars are parked, the ferry. Yeah. And there's the girl in the car who's like spreading her legs and about to like, I don't know, do what as the Ripper approaches. But right when she spread her legs, my dad goes, hello. <laughs> <laughs> And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to say anything else. Yeah, that's, that's the perfect reaction. <laughs> Thank Hello. you, Fulci. <laughs> Let's get some pussy. <laughs> hey, my dad is a <laughs> gentleman. Doesn't say the p word. <laughs> the p word. Minority Report. The 2002 film by Steven Spielberg is the last 2021 discovery that I want to talk about. Uh, so many people saw this movie before me. It was a big blockbuster <laughs> hit. You know, I didn't exactly discover it. Um, but it is fucking incredible. It might be my favorite Spielberg movie. You know, Tom Cruise, uh, he, he is like the classic neo-noir lead in this who, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect from a Spielberg movie, but he's just like getting high the whole time. And just like Spielberg <laughs> is getting high on those future drugs, the audience is getting high on Spielberg and Yanis Kaminsky's bleach bypassing cinematography. It is just one of the most insane looking movies I've ever seen. Just the way that there's just like pools of white all over the place and silver and like I don't know. It it, it makes it look like a, <laughs> a holographic Pokemon card. <laughs> like I, there, there's a shininess to the sheen that I still haven't seen even in the other Spielberg Kaminsky 2000s bleach bypass heavy products. Um, and yeah, just like the uh, surveillance state with like personalized advertisements everywhere was very uh, indicative of our future, obviously. <laughs> uh, and it's also just like it's this super future movie and it's like progressive in that sense but it's also just like a classic noir with a you know uh, 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 what's it called nuclear family reunion at the end where Cruz's wife has a baby on the way everything mm-hmm. like it's so funny the the dueling instincts of Spielberg the futurist and Spielberg the conservative classic Hollywood lover and uh, Tom Cruise in this movie is so fucking good man the, the, the chase sequence of him chasing his own eyeball down a hallway <laughs> just like there's as much filmmaking gusto put in to that as any action scene in the Spielberg filmography and uh, it's all about the details with him sometimes you know can I go to the bathroom real quick yeah let's uh let's take a break boys 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 I turn my back and there you are slapping each other again I couldn't trust any of you for a minute you should go out and knock the one it's independence day Instead, I'll just pour myself a drink It's got to be love I've never felt this way Oh, baby This one's from my heart And we're back on Extended Clip. Maybe the last time I'll ever say that phrase. I love milking wow. all of the final, oh like, God. everything we do. Damn. Um, let's hear from another friend of ours before we get to uh, our, our final segment. Um, 
for the very last time yeah the very last time we get to do uh, I'll, I'll drop the name of the segment after but uh it's a segment we've done before uh let's hear from another colleague in podcasting from the gauntlet uh prior guest and friend of the pod eric marsh What's up, dudes? It's your old pal, Marshlands. Just wanted to say thanks for all the good movies and good times. I was and am honored to have been part of the extended, extended clip community, uh, especially getting the opportunity to spread the gospel of car wash on the pod, which I now have the most popular review for on Letterboxd. So thanks, guys. Couldn't have done it without you. It is, of course, sad to see the clip finally run out of ammunition, but you guys should be proud of what you've accomplished. I uh, I don't know if everyone who listened to Extended Clip started their own double feature podcast, but I know I did, so you guys are basically the velvet underground uh, to me so i just hope the gauntlet can live up to and carry on your tradition of excellence who knows maybe i'll force each uh, each of you out of retirement for some guest spots so stay tuned on that if i could pick one last film to bring on the pod to talk with you guys about one last job if you will I think it would, uh, in that spirit, have to be Le Cercle Rouge from 1970, the quintessential heist film of Jean-Pierre Melville, about a group of criminals who meet on accident by fate and plan to rob a jewelry store while the police and the mob are after them at the same time. It stars, of course, three of the coolest guys ever, Jean-Marie Vellante, Alain Delon, and Yves Montand, and has an equally cool visual style. It's like all muted blues and grays and sleek dolly shots, lots of silence, lots of smoking, lots of dudes looking and being extremely cool. I'm not really sure how you guys uh, feel about Melville at all, but if uh, my suspicions are correct, I think uh, Le Cercle Rouge would be a good good one to chop up with you guys that's really all i got i want to uh say goodbye by giving you guys a john ford style 21 gun salute uh and on top of that i'm gonna pull out my own pistol and shoot the grave vic Mackey style (laughs) bang 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 uh eddie you can put in sound effects here if you want uh extended clip is dead Long live extended. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Eric uh, Marshlands, for that lovely voicemail. I actually I've only seen one Melville. Uh, definitely a blind spot for me. Yeah. Le Circle Rouge seems like the one that I want to do next. So, I've yeah. seen it and it rocks. It's I've never, a, he's not wrong. Never seen a Melville before, so I need to correct wow. that. Also, uh, to compliment Eric um, for you know. He's the model cinephile. I think he. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a. He's got a good life. If you're a cinef- a struggling cinephile whose life is in despair, take the Marshlands route. I think he's. I think he's found. I think he's found what's going on. And wow. he can. <laughs> he can smoke. Like this is just a testament to his personality. Yeah. 
He can smoke cigarettes with the best of him. I, when I was in Chicago, we were just puffing him back, having having a conversation to end end all times. <laughs> um, also, to the guy who has emailed the podcast account like five times asking us to do a podcast on the film The Beast of War, uh, sorry I never got to watch it and do it on a middle segment like I told you I would, but The Gauntlet has done an episode on The Beast of War. I don't think you've ever mentioned this. Yeah, guy. you haven't. Yeah, well, in did, all of I, our emails, <laughs> you've never brought that one up. Well, because it was... I, I, I definitely... We definitely did read it on the show once, and I kind of gave the guy some shit for proposing a double feature in an email, because mm-hmm. that's not how the show worked. Worked. The Beast of Past from tense. For the, for the final time. Yeah. I'll check it. You know what? For that guy... It's what I'm watching it right now. I'm at, you're going to have to, to put a list of all these movies because I need to uh, I need to watch them all now. And now it's time for the final segment, the second, maybe third installment of everybody's favorite segment. Promise is unfulfilled. <laughs> the dreams deferred segment. Yeah. That was the alternate name for promises unfulfilled for eagle eared listeners. Um now we're going to each talk about a movie that, like our guests, uh, we're going to talk about something that we wish we could have brought to the podcast, one of our favorite movies. Um, I'm going to go first this time. Do it. We're going we're gonna to reverse the circle. Go for it. A Star is Born, the 1954 film by George Cukor. Uh, this is just as beautiful and lavish and painful as the classic Hollywood musical gets. Uh, You have the meta-text aspect of it, of Judy Garland, who was fed pills by the Hollywood system in order to, you know, do incredible amounts of labor, just completely exploited uh, and developed a a crippling addiction to uppers uh, because of Hollywood chewing her up and trying to spit her out, but not quite because Judy is just too talented to be spat out. Uh, But you have the meta text of her as an actress bring all of that baggage to a story of her trying to fix James Mason. You know, James Mason brings her up to stardom, but then once she becomes a star, James Mason's crippling alcoholism is his downfall, and she can't save him, no matter how hard she tries. And so the musical numbers in this are incredible. Her performance, though, is just like... I think it's the quintessential classic Hollywood performance in terms of movie stars uh, where you're just bringing all of the baggage of the star into the movie and then it's just perfectly integrated into the film. Kukor just directs the shit out of her, but she doesn't even need a director. Uh, James Mason is incredible in this. Just, I I can't even describe the, the quality of uh, suffering that James Mason brings to this film. The musical numbers, though, uh, to center two of them, one of them is the Born in a Trunk medley, which is just like, it's similar to the Broadway melody thing from Singing in the Rain, where it just goes from one set piece to another, and it's just like a musical sequence with dream sequences within it that just eats itself alive and has some of the most expressionistic production design ever. And uh, it's just like the most maximal thing possible. And it ends, of course, with Swanee. Uh, how I love you, how I love you. Uh, but the other one, the, the, the inverse of that, and probably my favorite musical number in any movie ever, is The Man Who Got Away. 
uh, the number that James Mason sees her singing in a rehearsal session with her band. And it's just such an intimate number. And it's the inverse of that maximal number where we're just in a bar after hours and she's playing with her band and they're, you know, saying, you know, uh, you know, counting her in uh, very casually. And then she just like gives one of the most insane vocal performances of all time. And uh, you just can't help but be moved by it. And uh, yeah, I love A Star is Born, one of the best movies ever. Yeah, you know, I was originally going to bring that to, you know, one of the best movies I saw this year segment, you Mm -hmm. know. And uh, yeah, I was really stricken back by it. But to go in a more, a little different direction, I wanted to bring happiness to the podcast. And that's, you know, not the the feeling, not the sensation. You always bring the feeling Uh, to the podcast. Well brought the feeling to yeah the brought now now i have nowhere to put my happiness <laughs> but uh the movie happiness by todd solins a uh, movie that stuck with me at a young age just because of uh, you know damn this movie's messed up they got a pedophile in this shit that's crazy but um re-watching it you know during uh quarantine kind of did cement it is like oh yeah this is one of my favorite movies and like definitely influential to like i don't know kind of like the very like I have a I feel like I could have a bitter sense of humor sometimes and I feel like I I you're you know, a little twisted I'm no 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 it's serious bitterness no. <laughs> <laughs> don't joke about this Eddie <laughs> no yeah but uh like uh I don't know what with, with happiness you know we got like four concurrent storylines we got uh we got a pedophile a guy who's you know basically uh putting up the front that he's a normal guy, but all he really thinks about is, you know, really killing himself and pedophilia. And then we have Philip Seymour Hoffman character, kind of a more of a timid, also depressive man who uh, likes to call random women in the phone book and uh, jerk off to them and then come in the pages and put them, slap them on his wall after he's done. And uh, we have joy, you know, who, you know, kind of is, you know, doesn't quite have a career path, you know, kind of comes to, you know, teaching immigrants, but doesn't quite find fulfillment in that. And, uh, we have the, the, we have, uh, you know, Mona and Lenny, an older couple who are after 40 years of marriage deciding, you know, I need a divorce. I need new experiences. And I don't know, just kind of like the, the cruelty of this movie is always something that's kind of, uh, appealed to me. And I've always found very funny. And, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of movies around this time, talking about dang you know upper middle class life not exactly you know what it means but instead of kind of like dissect dissecting like the lifestyle or like what that makes that so it's like let's look at like the people within these uh these environments and like kind of like what's you know what's kind of the most the darkest and meanest angle we could take and i i don't know i feel like you know, that's that's one way to make a movie. And there's a lot of others that, you know, you know, could be more productive or something like that or could do more necessarily. But I've always found that position kind of valuable. And I've always liked Solins to always kind of give you that, you know, no matter what. So um, and, I, I, you know, I, I, I have you guys seen this movie before? Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's I, been a while. But yeah. yeah, I recently downloaded it because I, I want to yeah. rewatch it. Because yeah. it's like I, I, I could see you guys going either way on it, too. But uh, oh, I love yeah, it. you love it. Yeah. So I guess uh, Hoffman's you know. character would be fucked now because no one freaking picks up the phone anymore. True. <laughs> <laughs> now, anytime you get a call, it's either a, a, a scam or grandma. 
<laughs> nothing, nothing really to pull your pud to. Definitely. <laughs> Although this, you could get creative with the the scams, but uh, that's something I'll let the listeners. Yeah, just try pretend out. to do an automated voice. And then... <laughs> well, no, yeah. JT, what's your what's your first dreams deferred pick? Um. Well, I mean, I guess it is in a pretty similar note to the pud pulling. Uh, Malcolm was talking about. It was uh, Paul Schrader's autofocus. Um, Like, we never talked about Schrader, uh, strangely enough, Um, but, like... Did we? We, Yes, we didn't. No, we didn't. That's crazy. Yeah, he was never in... Card counter middle segment, maybe? Yeah. A couple middle segments. Definitely some middle segments dedicated, but yeah. But, I mean, Schrader won. The tagline for this is great. A day without sex is a day wasted. A (laughs) phrase uh, uttered in the film a few times. And just um, uh, since we're all such big fans of uh, 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 stuck, uh, stuck on you, sounds like a couple of us are. Maybe one of us. I'm no, sorry. I'm I just I didn't want to butcher it. <laughs> no, uh, can, the Kinnear performance in that is uh, sensational. I was like, damn, Greg Kinnear, like low key sick with it. Um, and in autofocus, his performance is uh, amazing. It's just a personal fave uh, for me because. It starts in like that kind of uh, bright, like uh, overlit, like fifties milieu where like Kinnear is this like uh, radio friendly like DJ who's just doing like I don't know playful jokes, but then um, uh, gets like this intense celebrity from Hogan's Heroes, which Hogan's Heroes in general I think is just such a funny premise for a show like yeah. uh, like. POW camp uh, like sitcom and the way it sort of like explores that territory but then like formally just sort of like gets like the movie starts so bright and sunny but then just gets like intensely dark and like through close ups but I mean it's still fucking funny there's like a great scene um, I, I think you've seen it, I've Malcolm, seen it before, yes. where like uh, Defoe and Kinnear are like jerking off together yeah. and just having a conversation <laughs> while they're just pulling their puds. It's uh, yeah, no, it's a very weird, uh, like funny film that I, uh, I don't know, just it has a lot of crude sex stuff that I very much so enjoy. Like there's a strange fantasy sequence where Kinnear his son tells him go balls deep pop <laughs> and just a lot of stuff that I, I find very funny. But I think like um, from a, like a more broader angle, I think the sexual st- aspect of Schrader's work is uh, very interesting. I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's like particularly progressive. I think probably quite the opposite, like very reactionary, especially with, I mean, I haven't seen hardcore, but um, I just think of, oh God, that's my daughter yeah. all the time. And I can only imagine the sexual politics of that. But uh, I don't know. I uh, w- would have liked to see how we could all hash that one out. I love Defoe's character because he's, you know, he's a man close to my own heart and that he only cares about gear and pornography. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's, that, that's his name is John Carpenter. True. Too. I mean, how could he not love that? But I, I love I love how like his introduction is that he's just got sick gear. Like I got like a video camera, like I got all this type of shit. And he uses that sick gear to like lure in. It's like, what if we, you know, started making little home movies and uh like all, all the all the like yeah, the I mean I think it's been commented upon a lot, but like that that moment where like they're rewatching the tape and like 
Kinnear's like, are you like feeling me up <laughs> or something in that? It's just, it's very funny how like it's, it seems like everything Defoe was doing was to lead up to that one time he gets to grope Kinnear a little bit while they're having a foursome, you know? Um, <laughs> but I guess, you know, if, if, you know, back, you know, in a less sexually liberated society, he had to get creative back then. So, uh, before we move on to our last round of Promises Unfulfilled, let's hear from our friend Hessa. Hello, Eddie and Malcolm and JT. It's me, Hessa. I'm just calling to say goodbye and I love you all and thank you for all of the fun times and fun memories. Um, thank you for having me on also. Um, I think it was the first time I'd ever been on a podcast. I remember I was like super, super nervous. And um, I'm very, I'm very sad that we didn't get to do my next episode, which would have been Liliana Cavani's The Skin and Lena Wertmuller's Seven Beauties. Um, But hey, you know. You win some, you lose some. Um, so I I love you all. You're all wonderful. And stay 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 watching. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, insight from Hessa that you can only get from her on her podcast, Seeking Derangements, uh, the podcast she is on now. After we christened her to yeah. the podcasting yeah, that's world that's the extended clip bump yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that that was her first podcast i guess you know if you're a fan of that you could thank us i mean also like seven beauties is is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. as well it, it like i would like to talk to hessa about that at some point whether recorded or otherwise just have to do normal talking <laughs> yeah. from now on no yeah. segments no <laughs> It's like, uh, do you, you see you this see movie? This fucking before? movie, you I this, like it a lot. See this movie before? I really like it. But I'm I'm talking about it in like the Philip Seymour Hoffman happiness voice, <laughs> <laughs> calling people up from the phone yeah. book, calling in, seeking derangements, <laughs> and being. You guys like this movie? <laughs> what do you guys think about this movie? Being the straight pervert on that show. <laughs> um, Final round. Malcolm, do you want to go first yeah, on man. our final round of uh, Dreams Deferred slash Promises Unfulfilled? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll Pass me the rock. I'm going to go the lady from Shanghai because uh, JT pointed out we did we never did a Orson Welles movie, uh, uh, did we? No. Yeah, wow. That was that was the biggest one that that's I was easily our biggest. Yeah, because uh, that's that's probably the director we've talked about the most that we've never reviewed a movie of. Yeah, and. The Lady from Shanghai is a perfect movie to me. Like, absolutely flawless. It's my favorite Orson Welles movie still to this day. And I don't know. There's just, there's something that's very, I think it's like also my favorite, like some of the best dialogue I've heard in a movie ever. Like every, like it's so many like great, like one-liners. I think on the old LB, I, you know, I gave it, it has that little Wayne feeling where it's just like, just like, it's like every single line in that movie would be like, the money line you re- you remember from another movie, but it's just it's just another word that a character is saying. And uh, I love like the af- affected performance of like Orson Welles and his strange Irish accent that doesn't quite sound Irish, but like 
I don't know. It shows the beauty of impressions. You know what I mean? It's as long as you got that feeling going for you, you don't really need to hit it nail on head. And uh, I don't know, just the strange intensities and stuff like the post-war tension of like the Spanish war and how that comes into play. And uh, some of the best like character acting of all time, you know, uh, I got to, I got to pull up this guy's name and I should have, should have done it before, you know, I would have thought I'd known how to podcast by now, but, uh, Glenn Anders, a guy who never really went on to do, you know, that's, that's his biggest role by far. And he doesn't really have much else. He was in a, a, a remake of M by Joseph Losey, which I'm, I'm curious to check out. But, um, Glenn Anders is kind of, uh, the sidekick, the, uh, to Arthur Bannister in this, you know, is, uh, the best character actor performance of all time. I feel like this and like Wells kind of like uh, revolutionary politics shine through in a great way here. And I mean, you know, you got the mirror sequence at the end, you know what I mean? It's just, it's the fucking cherry on top. So Wells, you know, we kind of, we fucked up by not doing a yeah. movie by you. So I just, I can't believe he stole that last sequence from Woody Allen's Manhattan murder mystery. <laughs> 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 That's true. I mean, Hey, aren't we all just standing on the shoulders of giants? <laughs> Although I don't, I don't think, I don't think Woody's frame could take him. <laughs> JT. Well, I mean, now that Malcolm fucking had the lead in and was able to steal yeah. my thunder, stole some thunder. I, sure. I F for fake. Uh, nice. was going to be my pick. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, I think, so much of the podcast for us was like championing like smaller films. And I mean, we did, we talked about like huge Canon classics, like the Godfather with Rob at a certain point. But I think for the most part, we tried to like guide discussion into things that the like places where it hasn't been like well-tread territory, or if it was that we um, would have a, a different perspective on it. But uh, it was either F for fake or, or other side of the wind for me because I feel like we're like now like a few years out from like being hot off the release and I I, I don't know I I'm I yearn to revisit that one myself but I think Effort Fake is probably the better film but it just I, I don't know for me encapsulates that like Wells was such a huge filmmaker like right from the beginning and just now like late the little like late career stuff that he does have just shows still like such an adventurous like formal experimentation and with F for fake that like continues or it like carries on his like magic like showmanship like I think a lot of filmmakers like will go in that realm of like magician or showman style and like with fuckers like Fellini it will be like pretty fucking annoying but Wells is the only dude who has so much like legitimate charm and swag where he can pull that kind of shtick off. And uh, with F for Fake, I mean, there, there's obviously a very intellectual and like clever like play between like uh, reality and fiction there. But just on sheer swag alone, yeah. like he's just carrying it. And I love uh, the bit of just being like we're going to tell the truth for this part of the movie and then just leaving out that the last little segment is a lie for a, a cheeky little reveal. <laughs> and just, I mean, so much of Wells' personality is on display in that as well, aside from just, like, an amazing, like, artistic mastery. Um, I am going to cheat a little bit 
Uh, I'm going to talk about Mr. Arcaden. Now, I watched Confidential Report in 2018, another version of this film. Then I watched the current version of Mr. Arcaden this year. So I'm counting well, that is this as a first-time viewing. Is, this isn't first-time viewing. This is just things we wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. No shit. So I could just... Yeah, I don't even have to cheat. About, yeah, you don't, Plus, no cheating needed. Look, could, I'm a cheater. Could, I'm, this I'm is Mr. Our 420. Podcast. Yeah. This is the last episode. We could do what we want. Do what you want. We're uh, like cartoons, bro. Let's just go full Orson mode for the last round uh, because I can't believe we never showed big ups to the big fella. <laughs> and speaking of big fellas, man, the, the character of Mr. Arcaden that he plays in this movie, Gregory Arcaden, just the funniest character caricature of like eastern european like greedy slob <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> it's so funny and this movie is so mysterious and strange and of course it exists in like fucking eight different versions there's a great jonathan rosenbaum ver- uh, essay about the many faces of this film but i love this film because like citizen kane it follows a character investigating a mythological type character, you know, and that character has so much darkness in his past, you know, with Kane, it's just like, oh, you know, he did some dirty stuff to get to where he was maybe, or he wasn't the nicest guy, I guess. <laughs> hey, watch Mank. You'll learn a little bit about <laughs> the subject there. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe Orson could have reflected now. Okay. Uh, but Arkadin is so beautiful. It's like Arkadin is investigating himself he's he's uh hiring i believe it's michael redgrave's character to investigate himself and uh to like in order to cover up his own tracks you know it's like i i I haven't seen any movies with that type of premise in terms of a kind of spy movie uh or an investigative movie or a detective type movie but it just has so much fucking intrigue to it and it's just like effortless globe trotting too you know it's all shot all over europe and shot with a relatively lower budget than what he had been doing before kind of a transition period between this and what he would do with his later experimental low low budget movies but uh with the experience that he had on othello running out of money and having to uh get more producers and stuff like that and kind of shooting it all over europe for that reason it just seems effortless here you know it's like the next step after othello and also it's just like dizzying camera angles and camera movement and stuff like that and it's also it it's so incredible in terms of his ability to stylize pulp, you know, like he made a few noirs after Citizen Kane because that's what the studio let him make. You know, you talked about Lady from Shanghai. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. This one is like, it's based on a character from a radio play spinoff of the third man. So it's (laughs) like the third man, which kind of hinges on his supporting performance that only comes in an hour into the movie or whatever. And it's not an Orson Welles movie got him so much cachet that he was able to spin this film out of his performance from the third man, basically. And he's just like, if that's the kind of thing that'll get me to make a movie, fine. Just that's, give me the fuck budget. You I know? mean, it's it's a real damn shame we didn't talk about Orson because that man was always hustling. It, the like, biggest hustler of all time. Exactly. Gary Valentine would learn a lesson or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it gets so, so fucking dark uh as dark as any post-war europe uh (laughs) type movie uh can get without spoiling it you know imply what you will there uh and it's just like 
I don't know. It's so fatalistic, but also so playful. And Orson was just one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And I'm glad we could show him a little love here on the final segment of our final episode. Still underappreciated even by us. Somehow, in general, still underappreciated, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Even with like a surge of his late stuff getting more reception uh, with The Other Side of the Wind coming out, I would still say Orson Welles is probably the most lauded but still underrated movie maker. Kind of like us, our podcast. Exactly, <laughs> because people love us, but we're still underrated. Yep. <laughs> well, it's been a lot of fun these last two and a half years. I don't really have any final thoughts. We've been milking this final season <laughs> bullshit for like three mm. months now. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, it was great doing the podcast. It was great becoming friends with you guys. And, uh, you know, shout out to the people that listened, because if no one... You know, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad some people listened. You yeah. know what oh I mean? Yeah. That was so, oh, that was yeah. cool. We got like yeah. a couple hundred people, like a couple hundred plays of like w- within a couple weeks, we were getting like a couple hundred plays. And if we didn't get that, I probably would have hung it up like, m- let's just say much sooner than we yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, just like having that, like knowing there were at least like a dozen or a couple dozen regular listeners. That's all I fucking wanted. Exactly. You know, like I wanted Same. to make money. Is there one less voicemail? Did you say? Or oh like, yeah. No shit. Yeah, let's uh, I, not forget about our. The, yeah. No, maybe I don't the closest want, friend. Of the I, podcast. I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to say my, my final. St- I mean, I guess I'll put my final statements before. Cause we'll have the last word on this. We don't want our buddy to have the last yeah. word on the podcast. Yeah. Guys, sorry, but uh, we love you, Rob Franco. So let's hear what you said. Hey, team, this is uh, Robert Franco, aka Responsible Rob, uh, champion guest of the Extended Clip podcast. Uh, some would argue their best guest and an even better friend. Um, I would argue you know that. me from episodes the like the, part. the iconic Mikey and Nikki, Jack and Jill. Or Purple Rose of Cairo and Eyes Wide Shut and um, yeah, the you, you you know the thing, man. Um, yeah, you know the episodes. You know you know me. You know what I'm about. Uh, I just wanted to say um, thank you and goodbye to my boys at not. I mean goodbye to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I just you know. I spent a lot of my time online and have met some interesting characters uh, from this Twitter world, and most are fucking lame, um, but every once in a while, you'll meet uh, some true friends, and that's how I feel about Malcolm, Eddie, and JT. They're more than friends. They're, they're brothers. They're family, uh, whether it's hitting golf balls with Eddie or uh, sucking off JT or, or chugging beers with Malcolm. You know, I love these guys, and I love talking about movies with them. And, um, and I'm just happy, to, happy and lucky to have developed such an exciting friendship for me with them. And um, if the day comes, which I hope it does, where the boys decide to do a reunion tour, I have decided that... The double feature that I think I would be a great guest for would be Johnny Toe's Exiled and Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai because those are two movies about the fucking boys. And that's what Extended Clip is. That's what I'm about. We're about the fucking boys. We're about getting together. We're about smoking cigs and drinking Red Bull energy drinks and shooting guys to steal gold and... 
saving poor farmers. That's what we're about <laughs> at Extended Clip. And I know I'm not a core member, but I've been on the show enough times that I, I feel like I'm a part of the team. I'm like a Wu-Tang affiliate. Um, anyway, so that's what I wanted to say. So if, we, if they ever get the band back together, you know I'm going to be in there cuddling JT and Scooter and stroking Malcolm's beautiful hair and, you know, all, all, the, all the stuff. And we're getting together and we're talking about samurai mindset and we're talking about the fucking boys. I love you guys. I love you, Extended Clip. Salute. God bless. Wow. Oh, we love you God too, Rob. Same yeah, love that farmers. bastard. I think that might be a reference to my God, God made the farmer poem that i read on one of the episodes so, uh, it's actually it's a reference Sam- to the seven samurai <laughs> no i think it's the god made a farmer poem i read i think that's that's low-key one of the best uh, moments of the podcast <laughs> i don't remember what you're what, talking about uh, the god made uh, that's a great up. yeah god made a farmer um well i'm glad we got to hear from rob uh re- you know he I, I think, yeah, Ryan had more guest spots on the pod than him, but I'll, I'll say that they're both the champion guests of the pod. Yeah. Uh, as Rob has come over and chopped it up at podcast lengths before off mic, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we love Rob, and we love Ryan, and we love all of our friends of the pod who contributed and those who didn't contribute. And I don't know. We're, we're not going to milk this uh, fucking finale shit much longer. <laughs> Read the poem, and we'll get out of here. Uh, 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 what a great way to uh, end the podcast. Uh, Just wait, wait, wait. Can you replace farmer with podcaster? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. (laughs) All right. From the top. God said, I need somebody to willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields and milk cows again. I need somebody with arms strong enough to wrestle a calf, yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. I need somebody who'd be who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong, the soft, (laughs) strong bonds of sharing who will laugh and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says he wants to do what he spends his life doing, doing what dad does. So God made a podcaster. Wow. Once again, I've been Eddie Averill. I've been Malcolm Baum. I've been JT White. Thank you, and goodbye. Now, fellow delegates, there comes a time in the life of every business executive when he starts thinking about retirement. Uncle Sam don't give a shit about your expenses. You want bread? Fuck a baker. Scent of a woman. Oh, and she had wine for me. Wine. I mean, do people drink wine? Most people. If she had come into that room with a couple of glasses of coffee and milk, then I would have respected her. I would forgive her the Billy Joel discrepancy because of the coffee milk. Coffee milk? State drink of Rhode Island. All right, let's get to work. Goddamn motherfucker got blood all over my best clown suit. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
know what cat dog you got? That's a white dog. Of course he's a white dog. I don't mean his color. He's going to attack and kill back people. That's crazy. I don't believe that. Jason, what's wrong with? I want to fuck. Oh my god! For the first time in 40 years, I'm single, and I want to fuck. Yeah. I want to fuck until my dick falls off. I want to fuck a horse, and I want to drink its blood. I want to throw up. I was faithful to your grandmother every day for 40 years. This is the San Fernando Valley. Not crash. It was a forced water landing. What do you believe in there? Well, I believe in the soul, the cock, the pussy. The small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. America is a country very big, no? Upon leaving this spark of earthly existence, I have this to say. I shall see you all very soon. Very soon. The night is bitter, the stars have lost their glitter, the winds grow colder, suddenly you're older, and all because of the man that got away. Just no letter 
Oh, well. 